Our reading is taken from uh, the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, starting at verse 18. And this is found on page 1003 in your church Bibles. Sorry, page 1004 in your church Bibles. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of untrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. This is God's word. Good morning, everybody. My name's Phil. I'm the associate vicar, and it's uh, my privilege to be uh, preaching to us this morning. Well, for centuries, men and women have found that the Bible answers the deepest questions of life. And Mark 2 addresses a question that I'm sure has kept many of us awake at night. Why didn't Jesus' disciples fast from food? It's not exactly top of the list of burning questions in this room, is it? But actually, behind this obscure debate within first century Judaism... Well, lies a far deeper question, and a question which does speak to everybody here at the deepest level. Where can I find the answer to my soul's deepest longings? Where can I find the answer to my unquenchable desire for belonging, for meaning, for intimacy, for hope? How can I satisfy the thirst deep in my heart? How can I fill the emptiness inside? Let's pray as we look at God's word together. Lord God, we pray that you would help us to see in the Lord Jesus Christ the answer to our soul's needs. We ask this for his glory and our delight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I said, uh, the presenting issue here, though, is fasting. That's the the presenting issue of this passage. Now, a few years ago, that would have been a a very obscure thing to talk about. But these days, it's back in the mainstream. You you can't move for lifestyle gurus commending the health benefits of fasting. But here in Mark 2, we're thinking about fasting as a religious practice. Uh, The focus is not on weight loss or improved concentration or inner balance, but on spiritual benefits. In other words, what we're going to see is that Jesus is the feast who satisfies our soul's deepest hunger. And sometimes we're encouraged to fast to have a greater fill of him. That's the big point. Jesus is the feast who satisfies our soul's deepest hunger. And so sometimes it's sensible to fast so that we have a greater fill of him. Not because we think it'll have an impact on God. We need to be very clear about that. But because we think fasting might actually have a 
a good impact on us. Right, we've got a bit of work to do to get there, so let's dive in. Why didn't Jesus' disciples fast? Verse 18, you'll see the, the points on the sheets, you can see where we're going. Verse 18, now John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting and yours are not? Now this is the third in a series of five conflicts or discussions that get increasingly heated between Jesus and the religious leaders. And the issue this time is fasting. Going without something good, voluntarily going without something good for a period of time. Food or drink uh, is the main thing here. Now the Old Testament law commanded just one annual day of fasting in the whole year for the Jewish people, the Day of Atonement. However, fasting had become part of the normal religious practice by the first century. And different groups observed all sorts of different fasts. So we're told in Luke 18 that that the Pharisees fasted in some form twice a week from different things. And here we learn that John the Baptist's disciples also fasted. So it just would have looked really odd for Jesus' disciples not to fast. I mean, it's what you did if you were religious. It would be like finding that the church plant we we just sent up to to Wembley Park, St. Augustine's, that they don't sing at all in their Sunday services. You go, what? But I thought all Christians did. That's just weird. Well... That's, the, that's how people would have felt about it. You don't fast. I thought you were religious. So they ask Jesus. But at this point, I just want to pause actually for a bit of a chunk of time because I think very few of us would probably have an answer to the question, why did they fast in the Old Testament? I don't know. Well, let's just spend a few minutes working it out. And there are three things, I think, as you work your way through the Old Testament. There are three reasons that people went without food and drink for for religious purposes. Firstly, fasting is about desperate prayer for God's help. Lots of places you could turn. But one striking example is in Ezra chapter 8. As Ezra prepares to return to Jerusalem after it's been destroyed, at the end of the exile, returns to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. And we read this. In Ezra 8, there by the Ahava Canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children and all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from our enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Now, it's never explained, but it's actually not too difficult to see why you would fast at a time when you're praying for a desperate need before God. Firstly, fasting just allows more time to pray. Time that would have been spent preparing food and eating with others can be devoted to prayer. And secondly, fasting makes you feel weak and hungry. Duh, obviously. And as you feel weak and hungry, you're viscerally reminded, I feel desperate, desperate longing for food. But actually, my need for God's help for this thing is much greater. So fasting is about desperate prayer for God's help. Secondly, fasting is about humble prayer for God's forgiveness. Humble prayer for God's forgiveness. Because actually, and this is linked, our most serious threat is sin. And our most desperate, urgent need is forgiveness. The Bible's clear on that. 
So the only annual fast, as I said, which God commands in the Old Testament is on the Day of Atonement, which was the day when symbolically sacrifice was made for the sins of the people and of the priests and of the temple to symbolically receive forgiveness. And then actually at various points, you see people fast in response to to when they have really, really committed serious sin. By that, I mean, uh, fasting wasn't sort of part of the, uh, the regular rhythm of spirituality where you seek to follow God and like all of us, you mess up, which is why we confess our sins every Sunday. You mess up, you confess to God and you receive his forgiveness and you get up and you carry on. But fasting is recorded when the people are aware that they have sinned in really, really gross severe ways. Uh, For example, in Jonah 3, the Assyrians are convicted of their barbaric ways by God's prophet, warning them of his judgment. And we read in Jonah 3, the Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed. And all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And he made this proclamation. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let the people or animals, herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let the people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so we will not perish okay why (laughs) why is fasting in the old testament something that goes with confession for particularly severe sin i think again two reasons partly fasting is a denial of desire and secondly fasting is miserable it just is Firstly, a denial of desire. See, much of sin is either indulging in wrongful desires or wrongfully indulging in good desires. Uh, Paul puts it in Philippians 3, their God is their stomach. It's a striking phrase, isn't it? Their God is their stomach. And so fasting, therefore, it's it's just a healthy, symbolic act of repentance. When When you fast, when you're aware that you have really badly sinned, It's a way of saying, Lord God, please forgive me. I turn away from sin. I turn back to you and I fast as a sign that I don't want to be ruled by my appetites, by my desires anymore. And then similarly, it is right and appropriate sometimes when we commit serious sin or when we wake up to the fact that we've been persistently, disobediently in the long term turning away from God, that we ought to feel miserable about treating God that way, heartbroken about it. I mean, uh, if, a, if a Christian here at church committed a gross sin, you know, cheated on their spouse or committed a major fraud at work or lost their temper and physically injured somebody and they message you to tell you what they've done, they say, I'm, I'm utterly repentant. Please would you come around and pray with me before I tell my spouse or go to see the police or whatever. And you go round to pray with them and they answer the door with a glass of champagne in their hand and they've got a a gourmet takeaway and they're watching a comedy show on Netflix. Wouldn't that just seem just a little bit odd and wholly inappropriate? Shouldn't you, if you really are repentant, shouldn't shouldn't you at least 
be a bit more heartbroken about it? Pause. Got to be very, very, very careful at this point. It is not that fasting earns forgiveness from God. Or that some sins are so serious that you can't just pray to God for forgiveness. Oh no, you've got to do something else. You've got to both pray for forgiveness and fast. That's never taught anywhere in Scripture. Never. Jesus never demands that we do something like fasting to receive forgiveness. Jesus' death on the cross deals completely with our sin. So there's nothing left for us to pay back. He's paid it all. We're just told, repent and believe. Turn back to him. Trust in his death. So what then is the point of fasting when we've sinned? It's not about God and whether he'll forgive. He forgives freely because of Jesus. It's about me and whether I take sin seriously. Fasting as we mourn and confess our sin is never commanded by scripture. But down the centuries, followers of Jesus have said that sometimes, sometimes, it's proved really helpful for them as they as they deal with the fallout of serious sin in their lives. A serious moral lapse. Occasionally it's been helpful. So fasting is about desperate prayer for God's help. It's about humble prayer for God's forgiveness. And lastly, it's about hunger and thirst for God himself. And this in one sense should be obvious because God is the answer to those last two things. Only he can provide the help we need and only he can can forgive us. And I think this third one is actually the most neglected that, hung, that fasting is about a hunger and thirst for God himself. Because the Bible never explicitly says, fast because God is what your soul truly needs. But it's hinted at so strongly. And in Psalm 42, David writes, As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. In Matthew 4, 4, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And declares, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God presents himself as food and water, as satisfaction for our soul's hunger and thirst. So there must be some link between uh, the practice of fasting from physical food and drink and God presenting himself as the ultimate answer to hunger and thirst in our souls. And so fasting is, is a way of expressing a longing for God. It's a way of just reminding myself, hey, look, I've got a deeper need than can be fulfilled by just satisfying my physical appetites. We've got a more fundamental need than any of those things, a need for God. One of the best-known Christian statements outside the Bible fits this reality. The, the fourth-century African theologian Augustine of Hippo wrote, Oh, our God, you have made us for yourselves, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. And fasting can sometimes just help us express that longing. Okay, but surely all those things mean Jesus' disciples should have been fasting. I mean, desperate prayer for God's help, humble prayer for forgiveness, hunger and thirst for God. Surely those are things Jesus' disciples would have all said yes and amen to. So why didn't they fast? Because, as Jesus teaches us, he himself is the feast who satisfies the hunger of fasting. So in this uh, second part of the passage, as Jesus answers, he gives us really three word pictures. 
The bridegroom thing points to the fact Jesus himself is the feast that satisfies the hunger that we express in fasting. And then uh, the uh, verse 21 to 22, the patch clothes and the wineskins, well, they point to the fact that because Jesus is the answer to all these longings, all the things that the Old Testament spoke about, you, you can't just fit Jesus into the way things used to be done. Everything changes when he comes. Let's work through and see. So firstly, verse 19, Jesus is the feast who answers every fast. Verse 19, Jesus answered, well, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's with them? They can't, so long as they have him with them. Now, it's no surprise that Jesus would say, hey, look, they can't fast while I'm here. He's the one who declares, I am the living bread. And he then says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You see, you and I, we were, we were designed for connection with God. And so when we were cut off from God, there's a gnawing hunger of longing left deep in our souls. And no earthly relationships, as good as they are, no amount of success or wealth can truly satisfy that hole inside. And Jesus came to bridge the divide between us and the God who satisfies. And in knowing him, our soul's deepest need is met. He is the feast who answers the hunger of weary souls. There's, a, there's something wonderful about the way verse 19 is phrased. Not, they should not fast now I'm here, but they cannot. They cannot fast. I mean, uh, people know Will. Uh, Will works for um, one of the uh, second-rate football clubs in London. And, um, and sometimes he invites people to come and watch uh, his second-rate football club play. Uh, the problem is, because his second-rate football club lose quite a lot at the moment... If you get invited by him, you probably have, whoever you support, let's be honest, uh, the experience of your team scoring when you are at another team's ground. And you have to stifle the desire to cheer and shout because uh, bad things might happen. But as much as you don't visibly express it, you can't mourn and feel sad like everybody else in the ground has got used to feeling every week this season. (laughs) Uh, you can't because, because actually your joy is tied to a different team, maybe a better team like the one I follow. And uh, you just, you can't, you can't more. It's not that you shouldn't rub it in their faces. It's that you just can't, you can't share in their feelings of sadness because you're happy. You see, it is impossible for disciples to fast with Jesus there, whatever anybody tells them just as it'll be impossible for us to fast in the new creation in heaven when Jesus is with us. Our souls will just be too happy. It'll be impossible. Not we shouldn't, we can't. And that's why as loving parents, Will and Joe long for Jesse to put his trust in Jesus, that he might grow happy and fulfilled at a deeper level than anything in this life can bring. And the second set of pictures are actually related to this. Jesus' point in verses 21 to 22 is, look, Jesus is the reality to which the whole Old Testament points. And so those rituals, they just can't carry on. So verse 21. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, otherwise the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. No one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins. 
and both the wine and the, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. I mean, imagine if we did carry on with the Old Testament rituals of fasting, the Day of Atonement. So imagine you go to the Day of Atonement today and you bring your niece with you. you know, nice day out. And your niece says, uh, why is that animal being killed and blood being sprayed everywhere? Oh, well, it points to the fact that one day God will provide an ultimate sacrifice who will really deal with sin, not just symbolically. Isn't that what Jesus did like 2,000 years ago on the cross? Uh, yes. Well, so why did we just kill all those animals just now? Well, other than supply of meat for the church lunch, uh, I'm not really sure. I mean, it, it's just how weird would that be? Jesus is the final sacrifice, so why, why would you carry on with the symbolic sacrifices that pointed towards him? You can't pour the new wine of Jesus into the old wineskins of the Old Testament rituals. And so Old Testament practices like fasting cannot carry on unchanged, because Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that was promised in the Old Testament. Pause, but things aren't quite that simple because, of course, verse 20, Jesus says, But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them, and on that day, his people will fast. See, Jesus has gone back to heaven now, he's not with us. And so we will know times, as Jesus' followers, of, of fasting, of longing for his return. So when you put it all together, what Jesus is teaching here, we're like it's like Jesus is Christmas and we're like little children. That's basically. Jesus is Christmas, which is pretty appropriate when you think about it, and we're like little children. Yeah, I mean, think about it. All through the unbearable eternity of Advent, there is the promise of Christmas. And all the, the rituals help you, the child, to look forward to it. The opening of the, uh, of the Advent calendar, the putting up of the Christmas tree, the slow accumulation of these wonderfully wrapped presents under it, the buying of the turkey and the pigs in blankets. <gasps> and when, when the, oh, how long? Don't worry, don't worry. When Christmas comes, you'll be able to enjoy it all. When Christmas comes, you'll be able to enjoy it all. And then finally, Christmas Day is there. And at 1.45 in the morning, you're wide awake. And the moment you can convince the rest of the house, you charge downstairs and rip open the presents. And it's fantastic. And then your parents say, uh, hold on a minute. We've just got to pack the presents back up into the car because we're, we're driving to Granny and Grandpa's for, for Christmas Day. Uh, cue um, some voluble disappointment and a measure of discontent. Because Christmas Day has arrived Things have been unwrapped, but, but there is just a little period of waiting to go. But actually, that waiting is different. It's different because, well, although you can't play with the presents right now, they are in the boot of the car. You have already unwrapped them. And you know that this is just a short journey to Granny and Granddad's house. And then everything is yours. Everything. And the message of the Old Testament is just wait for the arrival of God's Messiah his saviour king. He will bring forgiveness for sin and overcome the powers of evil and give us eternal life. And Jesus does come and he dies on the cross and he rises again in victory. And then he goes back to heaven and we find ourselves waiting again. But this waiting is different because we've already opened the gift of forgiveness and eternal life. 
And so our rituals now are different as followers of God. We don't sacrifice, sin, uh, sacrifice animals to symbolize forgiveness. We celebrate the Lord's Supper, eating the bread and wine in remembrance that forgiveness has been achieved. And we get baptized, a symbol that we've died to our old lives and have already received new life in Jesus Christ. But we still wait for his return. And so now that Jesus has returned to heaven, his people will sometimes fast in the present age. So two little things as we finish. Um, Try fasting. Try fasting and taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, Verse 20, Jesus says, the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them and on that day they will fast. We should feast As Christians, we should feast because Jesus has come and has brought new life and forgiveness by his spirit. We should fast as we long for Jesus to return and as we see the misery and the pain in the world. It wouldn't surprise me if many Christians are fasting and praying as they see the misery in the Middle East right now. And we see in Acts 13, 2 to 3, in Acts 14, 21 to 23, the early church did on occasion fast when they were in real urgent need of God's help. And history shows us it's been a normal thing occasionally for Christians. So why not try it? Now, a church like ours, we're um, evangelical, that is, we take the Bible seriously, but I think our culture has been that we're very desperate not to be legalistic. That is, we don't want to do anything that might look like we think we can earn stuff from God because the Bible's clear we live by grace. Everything is a gift from God. And because of that, I think sometimes we rob ourselves of the rich blessings that come from some of the habits and disciplines the Bible suggests. Things like being serious about daily Bible reading and prayer and church attendance and occasionally fasting. Uh, I mean, you can fast from screen time or alcohol or sugary snacks, or you can fast entirely from food or drink for a short period. Uh, Fasting can involve giving up anything that's good, anything. But it seems to me the heart of it in the Bible is certainly fasting from food and drink. Do not fast because you think it'll have an impact on God. Do not fast because you think he's more likely to answer your prayers if you do. Do not fast because you think I'll be more acceptable to God or I'll have a greater degree of forgiveness. That's absolute rubbish. Don't fast because you think it'll have an impact on God. We only fast because we think it might have a good impact on us. See, fasting, it reveals the appetites that master me, whether it's chocolate or coffee or social media. When you try to give them up for 20 minutes and find you just can't give up coffee for 20 minutes, you start to see, oh gosh, this has got quite a hold on me. Fasting reveals the things that master us. Fasting also makes us feel weak, feel our need of God. And therefore, for well-resourced, well-fed, well-educated people, fasting is a spiritual reality check. It helps us feel in our bodies Luther's great observation. We are all beggars. This is true. There was a a great suggestion from a former intern that um, uh, why not uh, try fasting from food each each month on the day of the church prayer meeting um, and then break the fast when we gather to pray. Why not give that a go? No one has to. No one's telling anybody what to do. 
why not try it? See if it spiritually sharpens you as we gather to pray. I think it's a great idea. Don't fast either because it's good to be hungry and miserable. That's what God wants, isn't it? No. Fast to turn our appetites to the God who satisfies, the God who, whose word urges us, taste and see that God is good. Taste and see that God is good. See, fasting and finding satisfaction in God. The early church fathers, they believed those two things were related. One, one writer says, when we fast, our physical hunger accentuates our spiritual hunger. And here's a question. I'm not giving any rules, just suggestions. And here's a question. Might it be that one of the reasons we Christians rarely feel deep satisfaction in God is because we've stuffed ourselves so full of other things? It's like we've clamped our mouths over a, over a pressure hose of addictive food and drinks and spiritually deadening entertainment. And then we wonder why there's no appetite left in my soul for what truly satisfies. Fasting helps us feel our need for God and loosens some of those addictions and desires that master us. But never forget, Jesus didn't come to bring in fasting. He came to bring in a feast and end all fasting. The new creation will begin with the wedding banquet, as it's described, where Jesus marries his church and, it, and there is a vast banquet on the mountain of God, tables groaning under the weight of champagne bottles and fillet steak and pigs in blankets and sticky toffee pudding and vintage claret and everything else. But even more satisfying than the food we'll eat, and we will eat food there, is the God who will serve us, the company we will have. Just as a, a meal now, on your own, can never satisfy in quite the same way as a meal with really good old friends. So then we will be with the God our souls were designed to enjoy, the God our souls long to know, the God who calls to each and every one of us here to come to him and find that he is living bread and the water of life. Let's pray. Our Lord God, we, we thank you that you have not come uh, to call us to an ascetic life of miserable denial. You've come to bring the feast that our souls were designed for. You've come to satisfy our hunger and thirst in ways we cannot imagine. And so we pray that you would help us. We pray that you would help us, firstly, to find in Christ the answer to our soul's deepest longings. And we pray, too, that you would give us wisdom to walk in disciplines that, that help us to enjoy Jesus more and more. And we ask this for our soul's good and for your glory.